Hey everyone, welcome to Christ is the Cure. We are continuing our summer guest series with two hosts of a great podcast. And man, I was just telling them that I mispronounce it and I have in previous episodes. Uh, in fact, I don't even know if I'm going to try to say it right now. I'll let them introduce themselves. So it's Ben and Vin from, yes. and they are our classical Armenians. Would y'all categorize that as the correct terminology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're classical Arminians. I guess more specifically, we're Wesleyan Arminians. Wesleyan Arminians. Okay, so we'll get into the weeds of that uh, going through this podcast. So I guess before we start, would you all care to introduce yourselves? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, well, I'm Vin, and uh, you know Ben and I host uh, the podcast together. Uh, I'm I'm actually a I'm bivocational. Um, so I'm I'm a pastor of a of a growing church plant, and I'm also a high school history teacher as well. Um, I'm actually in my last class of my last semester of of seminary. I'll be graduating in May, or, or at least finishing in May. I don't know when graduation is going to be with the whole um, pandemic going on, but I'll be finishing up my last class in May. I'm over at Wesley Seminary in in Indiana. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm Ben. Um, I serve bivocationally with with Vin um, at the same church plant up here in Connecticut, um, which we've been doing that for a few years now. Um, yeah. So I'm a pastor there, and then by day um, I work in schools as well, but in different capacity. I'm not a teacher. I feed students. I've worked in the culinary industry for about uh, 20 or so years. Um, and so I am actually the food service director for the, for a school district. Um, so I serve about 6,000 meals every day of 53 or so employees that I'm responsible for. So my, my running gag is that my job during the day is also very pastoral because I spend most of my time dealing with, you know, problems and issues and questions and, and fights between people that come up. So, um, and then, um, you know, I'm also finishing school right now. Um, I'm getting a, I'm finishing actually a bachelor's in pastoral ministry, um, at Oklahoma Wesley and myself. So. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, all three of us are in school still. I, I'm I'm currently at Talbot. I'm getting my master's okay. in New Testament studies. So nice, very cool. Um, so I guess getting right into it, um, what what do you think are the biggest points of disagreement between Calvinists and Arminians? Or in fact, let's back up a set. Would you care to define Arminian and start from that point? Yeah. Um, I mean, historically. Arminianism originates in the, um, the the theology of the Dutch theologian Jacob Arminius. Um, he died um, in, in in the early early 1600s um, in, in the Netherlands, and essentially, I mean, Arminius was a pastor and a theologian within the Dutch Reformed Church, and uh, he differed from his his contemporaries, um, particularly in regards to issues relating to uh, supralapsarian Calvinism. Um, and uh, essentially out of his his ideas, which he saw as an alternative understanding of reform theology, um, arose what we call um, Arminianism today. Okay. Um, so from from y'all's vantage point and from his vantage point, it was another branch of Reformed theology. Would you say that's accurate? <clears throat> oh, okay. I didn't know if you were going to say something. Yeah. Um, so f- from there, uh, there's obviously a lot of 
uh, places where Calvinists and Arminians kind of get into it, um, where would you say is actually like the biggest point of contention between the two viewpoints? Anybody want to jump on this one? Sure. So, you know, if 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 there is a differential point, it's you know just in regards to limited atonement and irresistible grace. Um, you know, there's maybe a lot of other ones that are brought up, but you know, I guess we'll kind of discuss as we go along. Like we don't, you know, as class, classical Armenian Wesleyan Armenians, we don't disagree with total depravity, um, things like that. You know, the 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 point that Arminius himself broke with, you know, his contemporaries on was just those issues in regards to you know predestination, things like that. Um, otherwise, he was you know fully ascribed to you know what reform teaching taught. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's important to, well, for everyone listening, that total depravity is, is affirmed and that the disagreements on the atonement. And then I guess we'll get into whether or not, you know, uh, grace is resistible or irresistible. Right. Yeah. I guess one other thing I would add too, in regards to the story of Arminius is that, um, he was working in a pre synod of Dort situation. So that, you know, the, the synod of Dort had not happened yet and and it wouldn't convene until about 10 years after his death so when our i mean i mean as you know in the in the late 1500s and the early 1600s there were a large variety of reformed theologians that didn't see eye to eye on everything absolutely um and arminius saw himself among the reformed options um both you know, especially on, on the European continent and then also in England. And um, he didn't particularly see himself as um, non-reformed until, obviously, when the Synod of Dort takes place, about 10 years after his death, there's a, a, a stricter orthodoxy of, 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 of reformed thought that's established there. And then, therefore, um, I guess... Retroactively, Arminius is not then therefore seen as a reformed option um, at all. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I, I think that's still worth noting t- today, too, that those who who kind of claim exclusive titles to reform theology, Calvinists, uh, they, they don't um, they don't see eye to eye on everything. You know, yeah, those who hold to limited atonement, those who don't and different views of how the fall occurred and all that. And I think that's an important point mm-hmm. where we're talking about this kind of thing. Um. So your, your podcast on the About page uh, says that you seek to inform people about uh, Wesleyan Arminian theology and address misrepresentations. So what are the ones that you see most often, and how would you correct those misrepresentations? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do one. I mean, one of them, I think I would say, is that, is that Wesleyan Arminianism is, is very different from Calvinism. Um, because it's really not, I mean, in a lot of ways, um, the theology of, of Arminius and the theology of Wesley, at least, um, rightly understood is a legitimate heir of, of reformation, of reformation theology. In a lot of ways, um, Arminianism and Wesleyanism were, were extensions of, um, reform theology, although differing from reform theology, um, in some significant ways, which we will, which we will talk about. But I mean, um, 
Arminius himself recommended the writings of, of Calvin, the commentaries of Calvin. Um, Wesley is very famous for saying numerous times that um, his theology is within a hair's breadth of Calvinism. That's a quote that he um, repeated numerous times in his correspondence with other Calvinist evangelicals of his time, like John Newton or George Whitfield. And then also... Um, even Wesley in his sermon, The Lord Our Righteousness, specifically says that he understands the doctrine of justification um, in the same way that um, John Calvin. So you, you can you can see that there are a lot of similarities. I mean, there are significant differences as well. Um, but I think overall, I, I think when people think of um, Arminianism or, or Wesleyanism, um, or Wesleyan Arminianism, anyway, um, they, they think that it's the exact opposite of 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 Calvinism, right. right? The opposite of Reformed theology. But I mean, I would argue that um, as Wesleyan Arminians, we have more in common with our Reformed brothers than we would other Christian Protestant traditions. For right. example, Lutheranism. I think Calvinists and Wesleyan Arminians actually have more in common theologically than we would with, with Lutherans. Um, so that I think that would be one, one um, misunderstanding or misconception. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I can, and I can add, you know, this is one we commonly bring up on the podcast is just in regards to matters of the will, um, being as that's that's kind of the thing that's level. You know, if people, someone says they're Arminian, then that's usually like the first thing. Oh, well, you believe that you have free will. And, you know, we, we think it's important to differentiate between, you know, free will and a freed, you know, a freed will, um, with that important little D on the end there, only because it's, you know, it, it's taken in the way that, you know, people choose, like, what does it mean to choose? Right. And, you know, we don't prefer that kind of terminology that, you know, because it's, you know, that's giving a very, a much more like an anthropocentric understanding of, you know, salvation and God's work and things like that. And when you talk about like a free will that falls under that same kind of, you know, wording or phrasing or understanding. Whereas if you're talking about someone that has a freed will, it's, you know, it's, it's pointing us back to the fact that it's God, right? You know, God has awakened that will or God has, you know, worked in this person, you know, proveniently like through, you know, by his grace to, you know, awaken them to salvation, you know, and, and it's, we just see that as an important differentiation to make mostly because people within our own camps, um, oftentimes are the ones that have those, words the most kind of jumbled together, you know, and, and it's very much, and it misrepresents, you know, the classical, um, theological stance that we would take, um, like I said, within our own, within our own circles. Absolutely. I really appreciate you saying that too. Um, and that kind of segues into the next, uh, question, I guess was whenever it comes to the human will prior to prevenient grace or regeneration, uh, whenever I was looking into, you know, um, Arminius's work on providence and the human will, I didn't really see much difference between Calvinistic compatibilism and Arminianism. And so I guess, could you speak to that? Is, is there actually a distinction there or is it essentially the same, just different terminology or how it's expressed or what do you think is going on there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think when it, I, the difference would really come between compatibilism and, and, and um, classical Arminianism, I, I think it would really come down to, um, I, the understanding of humans prior to prevenient grace would be the same, um, because, you know, as Ben was saying before, Wesleyan's, um, 
at least at least people who hold to Orthodox Wesleyan Arminian teaching um, would would strongly affirm total depravity. Um, that prior to grace, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, um, and in our own in our own strength, there's nothing that we can do to come out of that condition. Um, so in that way, we would be the same as compatibilists. The difference would the the really the primary difference would be provenient grace, um, which is God's grace before regeneration. Um, from from the Western Arminian understanding, we believe that that grace can be um, resisted. Um, where essentially the choice that you have is either to resist the grace of God or surrender to God's grace that's working. Um, like like a really good a really good analogy that Roger Olson um, presents in his book Arminian Theology Myths and Realities is that. Um, we are basically unconscious at the bottom of a well. We're dead. Um, there's, you know, there's really nothing that we can do. Um, and, but then, you know, someone calls our name, wakes us up, and then begins to pour water into the well and basically says, just allow yourself to float to the top. Um, and the only, cho- and he's basically saying the only choice you have is either let the water carry you to the top of the well or hold on to the bottom and drown. And that's essentially like the choice that we have in salvation is like our wills are awakened by the grace of God. As Ben said, we don't have a free will. We have a freed will. And therefore, really, our only choice is whether or not we're going to resist the grace of God or surrender to it, float to the top or hold on to the bottom of the well. Um, So, I mean, I think that would be the difference, though, is that we do believe that you can resist it, whereas our Calvinist brothers would say that the grace of God works irresistibly. Yeah, so I, I was particularly interested in, in that question because um, in regards to like the Old Testament, whenever you're talking about the human will, it seems like in, in my discussion with people that probably would not be considered, I guess, classical or, or more orthodox um, Arminian, whenever I look back in hindsight, but, you know, the, the linchpin or the argument is that, well, we have the will to make choices. And for me, it's like, well, that's not a contention, really. And so I don't know how you guys respond to that whenever... I, someone may say that to you or someone brings that up in dialogue. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, you mean you're, you're, when the conversations you had, they said that they'll, they'll just say, well, we could all make choices. Yeah. Cause I mean, as a compatibilist, you'd say that we have the freedom to make choices, but our choices are only going to be, um, choices for evil, right. In accordance with our nature. Right. That, that the will moves in accordance with your nature. Yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. y'all would essentially affirm that because of total depravity, correct? Yeah, correct. And then, yeah. Th- th- but then obviously if we are going to make choices against our nature, it would only be those that are enabled by the prevenient grace of God. Right. But I think the difference though, between us and compatibilism would be that we would say though, at that point that you can resist the grace of God, you can resist God's prevenient grace um, whereas compatibilists would say would would affirm irresistible grace. But one thing I will say though is even John Wesley believed that at the moment of regeneration, the grace of God is irresistible. Um, and 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 he and he affirmed that in numerous writings, a famous letter to George Whitfield and in another writing as well. There's two places in Wesley's writings that he says that specific thing that at the moment of regeneration, um, you you um. God's grace works irresistibly, but, but the, the, 
individual can resist the grace of God um, both bef- um, bef- before that moment. So, oh, so just to clarify, you have prevenient grace that enables the individual to surrender, as you were saying, and mm-hmm. but once they surrender, that regeneration is irresistible. Is that correct? Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, the, the exact moment of regeneration, God worked irresistibly. Oh, okay, that makes sense, yeah. Um, but you can resist the grace of God leading up to that point. Okay. Um, I've, I've heard, I believe it was Roger Olson in his book, uh, I read uh, Arminian's Myths, I can't remember what it's called, the full title, but he called it Provenia Grace Partial Regeneration. Do you guys agree with that terminology, just out of curiosity? Um. I, I I would I would not um I I would I would not say that prevenient grace is is, is partial regeneration. Okay, right. I just thought that was an interesting term, so I was just wanting to throw that one out there. Yeah, yeah. There's there's always nuance in the terminology in, in the world, but Def, definitely, you know, re- regener- re- regeneration has to be regeneration. Okay, that's that's good. That's good clarification. I enjoy that. Um, so we we kind of touched on a little bit because if, if individuals don't recognize what semi-Pelagianism is and uh, all that, then they, they obviously wouldn't see what we've already discussed. Refuse the idea that you guys are semi-Pelagian. Um, you guys probably hear that a lot. Um, what is is your initial response? Just we affirm that, and um, I mean, I guess how do you address that whenever it comes up in a topic? Because it seems like in most cases. A Calvinist assumes that if you're not Calvinist, you're an Arminian, which opens up the door for a lot of misconceptions. And so yeah. how does that come yeah. up and how do you address it? Anybody want to jump on that one? Sure. The, in, so how do we how do we address like someone saying that we're semi-Pelagian? Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I think we would just go back to the explanation like that Vin was just giving in regards to our views on depravity um, and our views on, you know, God's work of, you know, God's God's saving work in a person's life. Um, cause at the heart of saying that we're semi-Pelagian is saying that, you know, it's based in that idea that we choose and then God responds to our choosing. And so, you know, we're, you know, we're doing all of these things based on our own, on the moving of our own ability, our own human will. And, you know, as, as people who, who affirm classical Arminian teaching, we would say that, you know, we would, we would point back to the fact that God is the initiator in salvation. You know, man does not choose when he's going to be saved. Um, it's it's God's grace that essentially is saying you're you know today, today's the day you can either resist um, this you know the moving of my grace in your life or you can you know to use the you know Olson's analogy you can you know flow with the water you can kick against it but you know it's God is the initiator of salvation you know God chooses the moment um, God provides the grace you know God gives faith you know God pours into our life in that moment we are not you know, we're not choosing that I'm going to be saved today, you know, which is, we hear that, you know, we hear that common language a lot, even in people that we pastor, you know, but only because they don't necessarily understand what's happening in that moment, you know, which is, which is fine. You know, most people just out of ignorance are going to say, you know, today I responded to the gospel because they don't real, you know, they don't understand that there was, there was something, you know, God was working in your life and, in in, you know, months and years and weeks previously, um, that were leading you to that point. God was preparing you for that moment, you know, and then God poured into your life in that moment so that you could respond positively, you know, or, or, you know, you can comply with, right, his call to salvation in your life. Um, so we would just, you know, we would point back to those general realities that it's, it's God's the initiator, God works, God leads, 
um, you know, man's not, you know, we're not, we're not choosing to be saved of our own, our own will and strength. Love it. Um, if I can ask a clarify, uh, you know, clarifying question on, on the topic of prevenient grace, then, um, is in terms of how prevenient grace is, I don't know if executed is a proper word. What is the means of prevenient grace? I've heard it said it's the gospel preached. I've heard it said it's just the cross in general. I've heard that I've heard different views on it. So I guess what is y'all's mm-hmm. particular case or what is the classical position on it? Yeah, well, I, I, when, it, when it comes to prevenient grace, um, as Ben was just saying, um, I, I think some, and I think what you were getting at before with, with, with Olson's um, idea about like partial regeneration, I think people think that it's just this blanket grace that just goes out. And then at any moment, people could just respond to the gospel and, and, and be saved and basically choose themselves when that's going to happen. That's not the way that Arminius nor Wesley um, articulated their understanding of prevenient grace. Typically, when you look at prevenient grace, the channels through which it's conveyed um, to, to, to the individual is through the means of grace, um, which would be um, prayer, um, God's word, um, you know, even elements of general revelation as well, the creation or the conscience, um, those things which are all enabled by um, prevenient grace. Um, but, but then, um, but then once again, um, that those would really be the channels through which through which God um, conveys His prevenient grace would be through those means. Um, it's not just like this blanket ability that everyone has at all times. And, and, and like Ben was saying too, I mean, there, there's, um, there's a famous quote where Wesley actually says this numerous times too. He says that um, an individual will be saved um, if they will, but not when they will. So essentially, um, you know, the grace of God um, prepares the person to, to receive the gospel. Um, but even as someone is, um, receiving the grace, the prevenient grace of God through those various means of grace that it's being made available, that doesn't mean that they're going to pick the the exact moment that that they're going to be saved. Because once again, God does work irresistibly um, at the moment of um, at the moment of regeneration. So, yeah, I'm glad that you explained that because I I have to admit that whenever you know I was first learning through, I was like, well, so is prevenient grace something that was just at the cross and therefore it's applied to all of humanity? Because I think there's a view that holds to that. Uh, but I don't think it's y'all's view. I, I don't want to put a label on it right now. Um, so I really appreciate that clarification. That's for sure. Um, so oftentimes, whenever we come to talk about this between, you know, synergism and monergism kind of thing, mm. in light of that, if someone says, you know, you guys reject sola fide because of your position, which I'm sure you, you hear, um, how do you respond to that? And uh, the, well, we'll get into the follow-up after that. <laughs> Yeah, Benny, want to get this one? Sure. So, um, we would so we would just politely disagree that we, you know we <laughs> we do affirm faith is the gift of God. Again, you know our our understanding of prevenient grace, you know, leads us into that, right? You know, it's it's the grace of God awakening us. Um, it, it's it's God giving us faith. You know, obviously there's you know there's general or like common faith that all people have, but you know, saving faith comes from God. Um, it's not something that we have within us and it's not something that we can like stir up or, or, you know, or anything, you know, it, it comes from God. And so, you know, we, we do as classical Wesleyan Arminians, we, we heartily affirm, um, all five solas and, um, that, that faith is, is a gift of God, you know, 
Yeah, I, I really appreciate that one too, because again, it's one of those things where, uh, well, you guys don't believe that faith is a gift. It's something that comes from the person. So how do you, you know, one of those situations. Right. Um, so I guess the follow-up is, and, and I'm personally curious about this, do you guys hold to a form of eternal security? And if so, how does that, how does that all play together? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, so um, because we do affirm all, 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 all of the sola. So, I mean, um, sola gratia, um, the, uh, um, we're saved by, you know, we're saved by grace through faith. Um, we're saved in Christ, sola Christus, um, Christ alone. I, I, really what it comes down to is, um, we, we, we don't believe in, um, eternal security, at least in the common understanding of what the term means today. Um, we do believe, though, that the individual is eternally secure in Christ. But if you're outside of Christ, you are not eternally secure. So essentially, our security is based on union with Christ. And union with Christ is is through faith. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are some Arminians or people who, who claim to be Arminians that will say that— um, Essentially, like if, if you if, if there's certain sin that you do, and as soon as you do that sin, then you're immediately not not um, you know then you lose your salvation. Um, our, our reading of Arminius and Wesley seems to point to the fact that um, sin is really the fruit of a loss of faith and a loss of union with Christ. So we would go back to saying that essentially our security is found through union with Christ through faith, just like what Jesus talks about in John 15 about abiding in the vine. And then, and then as the branches are abiding in the vine, they will bear much fruit. Jesus says, you know, without you, without, without me, you can do nothing. Um, But what does he say about the branches that are not abiding in the vine that they will wither um, and and die? So that's really our understanding of, of eternal security is that we believe that you are eternally secure through union with Christ but if you are no longer in union with Christ, if you um, if, if you renounce faith in Christ, like what the writer to the Hebrews warns about, um, that, then you will no longer be um, you you will no longer be secure. Um, does it, does that kind of make sense? We can keep talking about that if you have any follow up questions. Yeah. So so for clarification's sake, it, it's not any sin that you do that makes you lose salvation. It's just apostatizing from Christ Himself that makes you lose salvation, right? Yeah, and then sin would be the fruit. Um, you know, persistent willful sin would essentially be the fruit of a loss of that union with Christ, if that makes sense. So just like you, it just says, you know, a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if, if abiding in the vine, like Jesus says in John fifteen, if you abide in the vine, you're going to bear good fruit. If you're no longer abiding in the vine, then you're going to bear mm-hmm. bad fruit. So okay. or no fruit. This may be kind of an off the cuff question. Then, uh, could could um, an individual bear bad fruit, think that they're abiding in Christ, but not be in that position? I'm just curious. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's kind of like yeah. theological speculation at that point. I know, but you know, I just have to pick <laughs> your brains on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'd say I'd say you could. Like, um, you can have a um, a, a false. Um, you can have a false impression that you're a Christian when you're, when you're not. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the analogy, you know, the reality of the fruit kind of, you can bear bad fruit and, and bad fruit is just a sign of, of where, what your heart is. Um, but you know, you can think something besides that, 
you know, if you should so decide to, you know, I think kind of the, the important piece of that is just like that, you know, not affirming like this in again, out again, like a daily, you know, I can go through my day and be a Christian for, you know, 12 hours of the day and the other 12 not be, you know, like that just, cre- <laughs> that just creates a lot of confusion, anxiety, and, you know, unneeded pressure on people. Like we don't, you know, we, we don't, we don't affirm any, you know, why well, I was just calling their classic Finneyisms, you know, it was a very, that was like a Charles Finney kind of thing. Um, but we don't, you know, we don't affirm those kinds of things now. I, I think that's a pretty important clarification too for for a lot of listeners because it's kind of that idea like well you wake up and you you didn't do things right so there you go you're off the branch oh wait now you're back on the branch kind of thing yeah so, yeah it's 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 a very you know i remember and again like and i was when i was a young christian you know like i i grew up in kind of like your classic um like non-denominational you know, charismatic environment um didn't really have a theological understanding of of anything and you know, as a young, in my early twenties, you know, after just years of doing my own thing, you know, and, and just, you know, and just coming kind of back into the a church environment and starting to learn like that. I remember walking with that anxiety all the time, you know, fearful that, you know, a wrong thought or an ang, you know, um, I admit, yeah, when I was young, I had a pretty short fuse, you know, sometimes I still do, but you know, I would there, but I was always fearful, like, you know, in an angry moment, you know, am I, am I losing my salvation because I just blew up on my boss or I just yelled at my neighbor or the guy that cut me off on the highway. And, you know, I remember having a lot of this, a lot of pressure and, and fear, you know, but then learning, right. Like, you know, learning differently and having an, an understanding of, of God's grace, how that, you know, how God's grace is actually working, what salvation is really working in me, you know, and, and God's patience with people and then having, an, you know, just an understanding theologically of what that looks like was a tremendous relief, yeah. you know, to not think that I can potentially, lo- you know, because of one wrong mistake today, you know, I can lose my salvation, you know, and, and, and fall from my faith because of, you know, some, th- you know, whatever, because I had a, I had a bad moment or, you know, I, I ate something that disagreed with my stomach and I'm in a bad mood now because of it. You know, it's, um, it, 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 it's, it's life changing to realize that. Yeah, I, I certainly I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know I can. You know, I was going through that that kind of anxiety phase myself. And for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to listen to Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God. <laughs> Man, I was just like done for the rest of the day. I could not handle it. Yeah. So that was a good explanation yeah for sure one thing i'll add to that too is um um, one of our uh, probably our one of our favorite arminian uh historical theologians is uh is keith stanglin and um and 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 he talks about how yeah you have to watch out for the extremes of um where he said that he said anyway arminian classical arminianism um bewares of the both the extremes of once saved always saved and once saved barely saved Mm. yeah so to be like once saved always save is is the belief that um you know no matter what you which I think in a lot of ways is even different than perseverance of the saints but um which is basically the belief that you know no matter what you do um you know you're you're you can't lose your salvation um and then the other extreme would be once saved barely save which is what Ben's you know describing there that um you know you feel like you're always walking on eggshells because um you could be a Christian um, in the morning and lose your salvation at lunch. And then you can be a Christian again um, before you go to bed at night, Um, which both of those extremes could lead to um, an unhealthy um, understanding of, of, um, uh, of the Christian walk. 
Yeah, that, that's a great explanation too. I think that captures the balance. That's kind of necessary no matter who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so on your page, you mentioned heretical spinoffs. And, you know, since, since, you know, Calvinists label everyone as Arminians and we want kind of clarification of how to distinguish you guys from the spinoffs, well, what are some of the predominant ones? And I guess, how would you discuss those? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, um, because you, you asked before about, about semi-Pelagianism. Um, now, I, I, um, one of my um, professors at seminary, um, Dr. Chris Bounds, um, wrote a really helpful article where he talks about how there's a spectrum of salvation. Um, there's Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, semi-Augustinianism, and then Augustinianism. Um, classical Wesleyan Arminianism is, is semi-Augustinian. Um, which is essentially as, as what Ben and I have been describing that, um, you know, that, that, that God is the initiator of salvation, um, that the work of salvation is by the grace of God alone. Um, you know, yet a, a, a person who's been awakened by grace could either, um, you know, resist it or, or, um, or surrender to its work. Um, but unfortunately a lot of the heretical spinoffs, um, have either been semi-Pelagian or, or just full, full-blown Pelagianism, and 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 some some different, and, and obviously, semi-Pelagian is that. Um, I mean, it originates in the in the theology of um, the French medieval theologian John Cassian, but basically the belief that there is a part of the human, um, there's a part of the human that hasn't, um, isn't depraved, and and therefore mm-hmm. that one. Um, part of us that's not fallen could take the first step towards God. And then the grace of God kind of meets us the rest of the way. Um, unfortunately, a lot of what's called Arminianism or Wesleyanism ends up going in a, in a they, they become semi-Pelagian. And, I, and, and, and we would say that as soon as someone is semi-Pelagian, then they're not properly um, a classical um, Wesleyan Arminian. But like some of the names would be um, like traditionalism, um, within the Baptist camp, you know, represented by Leighton Flowers. A lot of people think that just because Leighton Flowers isn't in the Calvinist and he's automatically an Arminian. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that really annoys us a lot is that it's just because you're not a Calvinist doesn't mean you're an Arminian, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, um, to be an Arminian, you have to actually hold to the theology of Arminius. Um, but so that would be one. Another one would be open theism. Um, open theism is, is not, is not Arminian, either. Um, and, uh, actually our, our favorite, um, Wesleyan Arminian theologian, Thomas Odin had, um, said that open theism is, is heresy. And, um, and, and, and we would, um, we would agree with him on that. Um, so yeah, th- those, those would be some, I don't know, Ben, what do you, th- what are some other ones? Um, well, uh, you know, we guess we can point back, you know, I mentioned like Charles Finney before, um, mm-hmm. Charles Finney, you know, there was, um, you know, kind of a whole movement that um, kind of extended off from him. Um, also from a, it was a, I don't know how to describe her, but she was a woman named Phoebe Palmer. They were kind of like the founders of what would be known as the American Holiness Movement, hmm. um, which was another, you know, branch, I'm doing quotations, branch, you can't see them, branch of our, you know, of, of supposed like Wesleyanism. But again, that was like, you know, semi, if not full-blown Pelagianism, like it became very, um, you know, it was classified under, you know, Arminianism or, or Wesleyan Arminianism, but it was very much its own entity and its own animal um, altogether. Um, 
because of its its sense of full emphasis on the will of men and its lack of emphasis on the grace of God. Um, so that that's and that one is pretty common, you know, because um, if you if you trace, you know, you trace like their theology and you can trace it right up through, you know, like the Church of the Nazarene things and groups like that that still exist today. A lot of them were birthed from some of that theology and some of their more earlier, like the earlier expressions of some of those churches and groups were very steep in that kind of stuff. They've, you know, amended a lot of that over the years, you know, for the most part. But, you know, a lot of them are very, you know, a lot of the, a lot of like churches, like this was like in the Midwest area still, you know, struggle with a lot of that kind of stuff. But it's, you know, that that's another, I guess, classic, you know, classic portion of our, of, of, I don't want to, you know, I do my quotes again. I keep doing them underneath my desk here, but, you know, uh, another group in our world that kind of moves off of a, a, a more, or an orthodox expression of Western Arminianism. Yeah. Uh, go, going back to um, uh, what Vin said, I, absolutely, I, I've seen, you know, Lane Flowers and Open Theist basically being equated with Arminian theology. And so I, as soon as you said that, I was like, I was wondering if, if that was something that was going to come up. I was curious about that. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of one of those things that um, it, there's so many people out there that claim to be Arminian or Wesleyan, but their beliefs are in direct contradiction to the to the writings and thought of Arminius and Wesley. Yeah, um, you know that would be like somebody claiming that they're a, they're a Calvinist, but they're actually secretly a Universalist. Yeah, I mean, right? You know, like that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like. <laughs> You know, if you're a Calvinist, you're a Calvinist. If you're an Arminian, you're a Arminian. Uh, you, you can't just. It's not like it's not like a one or the other kind of a thing. But unfortunately, that's that that's what happens a lot. It's like, oh, you're not a Calvinist. Oh, then you're an Arminian. And and the and the person doesn't really doesn't hold to any of the of the major tenets of Arminianism. Um, but it's just kind of like a, a blanket categorization. Um, as unfortunately it has been historically too, because I mean, the, even during John Wesley's day in the 18th century Britain, um, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of um, churchmen in England that claimed to be Arminian, but really what it was was just it was just a blanket term for theological liberalism. It was a mixture of like Socinianism and other Trinity denying beliefs, Arianism. Um, but then Wesley comes along and he actually. Um, learns about the theology of Jacob Arminius himself, and he and he begins to preach a full-blown um, evangelical Arminianism um, that was true to the actual theology of Arminius. And um, in, in a lot of ways, Wesley was more opposed by the what was called anyway Arminianism of his day than he even was to the Cal- by the Calvinists of his day, um, in terms of his theological debates. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you raise a good point. If 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 you start doing what you know what people generally do, then these categories become completely arbitrary. You can just call anything you want. And yeah. And for for the flip right. side, if if someone calls me a hyper Calvinist, I'm gonna be like, no, stop, please, because it gets really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so one additional kind of off the cuff question that I had was about the the Synod of Dort, right? Um, mm-hmm. That comes up a lot and. It, from y'all's perspective, did they properly represent Arminius? <laughs> I guess I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he wasn't really represented at all, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> so I guess would you would you speak to that a little bit for for the sake of all those who you know? I mean, Robert Godfrey wrote a book on the the topic. I don't know if y'all read that. Yes. I can't remember what it was called. Um, and if you read that, then you're just like, oh yeah, this was a perfect refutation of Arminius. 
but yeah. how would you how would you address that? Well, first of all, we have to take a step back and, and acknowledge that the Synod of Dort actually took place 10 years after Arminius died. Um, also, um, the the whole Arminian Calvinist debate, which at the time was known as the um, the because um, Arminius's chief opponent at the University of Leiden was a professor by the name of Franciscus Homaris. So it became a, an Arminius versus Homaris debate. Um, and, and, and Francisco Comaris was a, was a super lapsarian. Um, so, so a lot of the, a lot of the debate surrounded that the two of them, but like I said, Arminius died. And then in the 10 years between the death of Arminius and the actual Synod of Dort, um, there was already some, um, there was a lot of pamphlet wars that broke out between, um, the supporters of Arminius and, and the supporters of um, Hamaris's theology, and it became very political too, um, and, and it kind of became the um, you know the Dutch merchant class um, and those that supported um, the Estates General so, um, signed with Arminius's theology, and those that supported um, Maurice of Nassau or the um, you know the the more um, the Prince of the Netherlands would were, were more Calvinist. So it really became like a political thing, and then and then there was over exaggeration on both sides. So that really by the time you actually get to the Synod of Dort, um, the Arminianism that was on trial was really like a already a changed Arminianism from the actual thought of Arminius himself, right. and. Um, and then what happened was basically the, when the, when the when the remonstrance because the groups the group of the Arminians came together and they wrote a they wrote a document known as the the remonstrance of 1609, um, you know they came up with five points, and that was the five points of the remonstrance. And then when by the time they came to the Synod of Dort, they were they weren't really even given an opportunity at all to share their theological um, opinions. They were basically put at a middle table. And they were essentially considered um, almost guilty um, before even having an opportunity to even say much of anything at all. Um, the trial was essentially like already done. And, um, and then obviously at the Synod of Dort, um, the five points of Calvinism are a reaction to the five points of the remonstrance. Um, so I don't know. I, I know Ben and I did an episode about that and we talked about um, – sitting at the middle table. Remember that? Ben? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, just kind of, it was basically the, the trial had already happened before the, the guys even the, before the remonstrance even came in a lot of ways. So we would say that it wasn't really fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you, you explaining that. Um, and it's always like those types of, you know, situations, circumstances are always more complex than people want to chalk them up to be. They always want to just narrow yeah. it down and make it simplistic. Um, so I guess, uh, as we kind of close out, if someone was interested in learning more about your position, what books, resources, stuff like that, would you recommend? <laughs> oh, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I, um, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess from a, then I'll, um, then I'll, I'll kick a couple in too. Okay. All right. Um, I think the best one volume introduction to Arminius would be, uh, Jacob Arminius, theologian of grace by Keith Stanglin and Thomas McCall. Um, that's the best, um, one volume introduction to Arminius. And then I would say, if you want a, if you, if you're a Calvinist, um, I would recommend 
for a, I would recommend that book because that, that would be, you'd learn a lot from that. And then also if, if you're a Calvinist and you want to learn about Wesley's theology, I would definitely recommend Fred Sanders book, um, Wesley on the Christian life, which is mm-hmm. actually published by Crossway. That's a great one volume introduction to Wesley. Um, that would be, um, th- th- that I, I believe that even, um, you know, even if you're a Calvinist that's not very favorable to Wesley, I think you would find that book um, encouraging, and and you would at least walk away with with a good understanding of who Wesley was, and you'll also see that he's really not um, who you might have heard he was. So, yeah. right, yeah, and then um, we mentioned one at the beginning, um, Olson's book, which when you were thinking back in reference to Arminian, the- Arminian theology, myths and realities, that was a book that Vin and I both started with. Um, feels like many years ago now, but maybe not as many as we think, but, yeah. you know, it was, it was a ways back, but that was a book that we both started on with our own, you know, and it's a, it's a really, it, it's just a good basic approach to, you know, um, some classical positions and some misrepresentations. Um, a lot of them are ones we, you know, we deal with on the podcast, but he just kind of spells them out there well. And, you know, we always throw a plug in for everything Thomas Odin, you know, but that that's for yeah. the one that's looking for some more, uh, yeah. so, some, some deeper answers, but we love, we love Odin. Um, he has a four volume set on the theology of John Wesley. That's uh, it's a masterpiece and it's a needed, it's a needed thing. Cause it's, you know, if, if you do have questions about Wesley and you can go to, you know, books by Sanders and Kenneth J Collins, but you know, if you're looking for, um, more answers right from the source, it's hard to track them down because Wesley, you know, was not, he didn't write a systematic theology and he wasn't never claimed to be a theologian, but, um, Odin has pulled together like all of his sermons and really done a tremendous work to give us positions on Wesley um, in a nice four volume set. So awesome. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of Odin stuff like online, like he has his systematic of the early church. I've been wanting to pick it up for a while and Fred Sanders is awesome. I I have his book on the Trinity. I really enjoy it. So those are all, I'll try to link those in the description for people who are listening. Um, would you, how would you, or I guess, where can people find you? What links would you give people to find your podcast and dive more into all this? Yeah. So our website, um, we're, we're at remonstrancepodcast.com. Um, that's, that's our main hub there. Um, in terms of our podcast, we're on Stitcher. We're also on Apple podcasts. And in terms of social um, networking, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, um, as well. And, um, so, so you, you just look for a monstrance podcast on any of those places and, and, and you will, and, and you'll find us there. Awesome. Um, and before we close out, do you guys have any closing thoughts or anything you want to share with listeners? Well, I, I, I think it's worth saying we just, we appreciate the, appreciate the opportunity to, um, to have a, you know, a, a good conversation about, you know, where, where our minds are and, you know, what we, uh, we believe theologically. So we, we appreciate you inviting us on here for sure. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I'm, I'm one of those people that if curiosity killed the cat, I'm next, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. So it's, it's been a great having you guys on. I really appreciate it. Um, so thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for having us on. I mean, our, um, our podcast is, we're not, we're not polemical. You know, our, 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 our goal is not to debate. Um, it's, we don't want to make this like a, an Arminian versus Calvinist thing. Our, our goal is really just to inform people, um, what, what classical, um, Wesleyanism and, and Arminianism is, um, and that's really our, our purpose. And also to bring out 
some of the great strengths of it as a theological movement. I know that one thing that Ben and I talk about is, is how, um, how, how the Wesleyan Arminian tradition has really emphasized um, an optimism of grace and, and, and how um, it doesn't put limits on what the power of grace could do um, in the life of the Christian. And, um, and that's just a really encouraging strength of the Wesleyan Arminian tradition. And, and, and we would, we, we long for a day that um, more Calvinists and um, Wesleyan Arminians could discuss different theological topics as brothers, and we can we can learn more from each other and the strengths of of each of our traditions, um, and that's really what we're trying to do with Remonstrance. Really appreciate that. Yeah, that's really important, um, especially today, like with with everyone diving off into heresy everywhere else. You know, this is not the time to start dividing over the things that don't. That they matter, but not as important, obviously. So, yeah, right. absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again. It was it's, you guys are a delight to talk to. So I really appreciate it. Really knowledgeable. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Nick. Thanks, we really we appreciate, appreciate it. Nick. Yeah. Of course, it was my pleasure. So that was Vin and Ben. Go check out their podcast. Links in the description. I hope that this was edifying. I hope it gave you a better insight into their position. I hope it led you to properly represent their position. Um, because that's, that's been a big, uh, big thing for me in terms of Arminianism. And so there it is. The, they're really nice guys. We talked a little bit after the show and I, I just really appreciated them and they, they do definitely do quality work on their podcast. They're very thorough. And I think you can kind of pick that up, um, in this episode. So anyway, that's it. God bless you all. And have a wonderful, wonderful day.